When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Dennis Foley. Now, here's Jack Riccardi. All right, Dennis, thank you very much. Good afternoon. So let's start with this. Let's start with the premise that despite everyone involved saying the United States does not want a wider war and U.S. troops are not going to Ukraine, let's start with the premise here this afternoon that we are actually going to get into this war. Okay, we are. And here's how I think it's going to happen. There's been a story kicking around for a few days about biological uh, research labs in Ukraine. The Russians put out a story that these labs are U.S. labs or U.S.-funded labs and that they're doing weapons-grade and weapons-level biological research. The... uh, White House response to that was that it was Russian propaganda and that the Russians are accusing us of funding labs like this because they're going to do biological warfare in Ukraine. And when they do, they're going to say, oh, it's a release or it's an accident, uh, of, of, uh, accidental release of these labs that America had in Ukraine. The, Pentagon press secretary called it malarkey. But then the uh, undersecretary of state, who's in charge of that part of the world, Victoria Nuland, deep stater, did admit that there are Ukrainian biological research labs. We are worried about them. We think Russian forces are trying to gain control of them. We're working with the Ukrainians on how to prevent those Uh, materials from falling into the hands of Russian forces who might release what's in them. Does any of this sound familiar to you? What does this remind you of? Okay. And here's here's where this involves us. Up until now, whenever anyone has talked about widening this war or America getting into this war, the line has been drawn about NATO, and Article 5 of NATO says if you're a NATO member and you're attacked, other NATO members have to come to your defense. But there's also an article of the NATO Charter that says NATO can respond to a biological or chemical attack uh, on or near the borders of its membering nations. Uh, So... If there is anything that even hints at or suggests the potential for chemical or biological warfare in Ukraine, all bets are off. Everything you've heard about what we are and are not willing to do are off. 
And remember that war is the fastest way out of political trouble for an American president, and it's the fastest way out of economic trouble for an American economy. Now, we're all very moved by the plight of Ukrainians because they're human beings. We should be. I'm not suggesting that you repress that. We played the audio yesterday of the little girl in the bomb shelter. If that moved you, that means you have a heart and a soul. We don't, however, owe the Ukrainians anything. And if we get into this war, we won't be getting into it because we owe them anything or because their plight is moving. The world is teeming with people that are, that are suffering. The world is teeming with people in nations all over the world. Just give the globe a spin, put your finger down randomly. And there are people suffering, people being oppressed, people being bombed, strafed, gassed, uh, starved, terrorized by forces that they have no control over. The reason we would be getting into Ukraine is to save the asses of the foreign policy elites in this country, the screw-ups and the incompetence, and the same people that got us into the Vietnam War, the same people that got us into Iraq. The people that right now are suggesting that high gas prices are somehow your sacrifice for freedom will sacrifice your sons if they need to. And they'll say it was an escalation by the Russians. But Newland's testimony says they've known all along that the chemical and biological stuff was there. So all this talk about, well, it's, it's a NATO thing, and there's this bright line, and they're not a NATO country. Kuwait was not a NATO country. Vietnam was not, South Vietnam was not a NATO country. Just, I, I know I sound cynical, I am cynical. But mark my words, they want in on this, because if we get into it, and it's World War III, they don't have to answer questions at the White House podium every day about gas prices. And we should ask ourselves how we got to this point. Um, why all of a sudden now is it such an emergency to arm Ukraine? The Russian troops have been on the border since last fall. Around the time your kids were starting school is when the Russians started the troop buildup on the Ukraine border. Now, admittedly, it was debatable, will they do it or are they bluffing? But my point is, that was your time to say to Ukraine, what do you need? And they didn't do it. Isn't it interesting that the same president that left behind billions and billions and billions of weapons in Afghanistan is so reluctant to give those weapons to Ukraine? He gave them to our enemies. He gave them to terrorists. It would have been nice if he'd scooped them all up last fall and handed them over to Zelensky. Let's also remember something else about this president. And he has told this story, and others around him have told it, so it's not a rumor. When 
President Obama was debating giving the green light to the SEAL team to take out Osama bin Laden in 2011. According to Joe Biden and according to other people in the the Obama administration, some of whom now work in the Biden administration, Joe Biden was the only one in the room who said don't go, who opposed giving the green light to the SEALs. This aligns with what was said about him by Robert Gates, the former Secretary of Defense, that Joe Biden's been wrong about every major foreign policy call of his public career. In the Senate, he was everybody's friend, but nobody's idea of one of the sharpest knives in the drawer. And now he is the front man, the face for a bunch of extremists who are basically uh, have hijacked the executive branch and are using him as the facade, the smiling, grandfatherly face of the most radical politics our country's ever seen. So this is the guy, the guy that didn't want to go in for bin Laden, that supposedly is now calling the shots on Ukraine. And the White House is pushing the Putin price hike narrative more and more now. They're using the words. We talked about this yesterday. They're using the words. It's Putin's price hike. What you're paying at the pump is the Putin price. Now, that's interesting to me because that's a a sort of humility you don't see very often from politicians. You know, most politicians not only take credit for everything they do, they usually take more credit than they deserve for the things they do. Here's Here's a rare example of a politician and a political party not taking all the credit they should for these gas prices. Joe Biden, the Democrats, and the climate change activists and socialists bragged about what they were going to do if they got in. They were going to freeze permits, and they did. They were going to move subsidies from oil to renewables, and they did. They claimed we were already producing more than enough oil in this country. That's why we didn't need to I have more leases and more permits. And when the climate change activists and socialists cheered on Biden and said that he had done more against big oil in his first year than any American president in our history, they soaked up that applause and they took victory laps. They didn't correct anybody. They didn't say that's not true. The New Yorker called President Biden, quote, the beginning of the end of the fossil fuel era. Unquote. So they promised to do things. They did them. They bragged about them. They reminded everybody about it until this year. Now, this year, they're suddenly very humble. No, we really don't have very much to do with this. It's Putin. It's not us. They're running away from all of it, and they shouldn't be allowed to. By the way, when it comes to gas prices, and we've had a lot of experts on the show. We have another guy coming on today. Look, it's a complicated thing. I don't blame Biden alone. I don't blame the Democrats alone. I don't even blame the climate activists and socialists alone. There is more to it than either side lets on. But you need to remember how hard Joe Biden and the Democrats and the climate change activists and socialists, how hard they tried to get these pump prices up, how hard they worked. And they were the ones telling us until very recently. 
I don't want them to not get anything but the full measure of credit for all the work they did. Yeah, I, I, am, I hope I'm wrong about this, and I've held back on saying this for a few days now, but I, I, I have believed for some time that the deep state wants a, a full-on U.S., European, ground war, mini World War III uh, in Ukraine. And when I hear talk about biological weapons, I hear the same language and the same, oh, my God, kind of tone that, that got us into Iraq. And, and, and when you've heard me talk about this in recent days, we've talked about how it's, it's always a mistake to back into a war, right? It's always a mistake to react to events and specific provocations or images and um, we backed into into Vietnam, and we're backing into this thing. And uh, and it's a it's a weird kind of. I'm not saying it's a grand, massive conspiracy, but there's a weird kind of synergy between the way the media are covering uh, uh, Ukraine, which is you know look at these people, these beautiful, suffering, poor people, or as Joy Reid calls them, uh, white Christians. But anyway, but anyway, um, you know. Look at look at their pain. Look at their suffering. Look what's been done to them, and then the government says, "Oh, and there might be uh, biological weapons." And uh, I think they are counting on sort of softening us up for, "Hey, you know, folks, I know we said we weren't going to do it, but we got to send them more than planes. We got to send them more than stingers." What do you think about that? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five, and then the the thing with oil prices. You're watching revisionist history happen right before your eyes. You know, over the last few years, we've talked about people rewriting American history, but this administration is rewriting current events right in real time. These are the people that bragged about what they were going to do to the fossil fuel industry. And now that the fossil fuel industry is, is, is hurting and we're seeing you know, four, five, six dollar a gallon gasoline. They're claiming they have nothing to do with it, no power over it. Imagine if they had talked that way during the 2020 election or even the 2019 primary debates. Imagine if Joe Biden had said, folks, there's not really very much I can do about gas prices. If they go up, that won't be me. He wouldn't have got the nomination. Democrats were competing with one another to talk about all the dreadful things they would do. What a, what a hammer blow they would sound on the fossil fuel industry. They bragged about it. They did it. I'm going to do it on day one, he said, and he did. They can't now say these are Putin's prices. I want to play this for you. This is a man filling up his refrigerated uh, rig in Tennessee. He's hauling milk, and he's uh, filling up the tank with diesel, and he's warning you what's coming next. Take a listen to this, cut number five. You want, want a reality check? I'm going to give you a reality check. $1,052 to fill a semi-truck in Tennessee. It is currently, right now, five fifteen a gallon. What the f*** are y'all going to do next month? When your gallon of milk costs $11. Because you hear that? That's the only way you get milk. Reefer units. Refrigerator trails. It ain't like.
think y'all gonna do without. Y'all better wake up. I don't know if it'll be $11 next month, but his point is, and it's a response to the Pete Buttigieg's of the world who say, well, if you don't like gas prices, just get an electric car. Well, that's that's fine, except it won't be an electric car that's delivering every single solitary thing you buy and use and depend on and your family depends on and your business depends on. So the supply chain such as it is, runs and is going to run for a long, long time on gas and oil-powered transportation. And um, he's just saying, look, I'm the guy you need. That's the thing about truckers. It's why I think they were the, the tip of the spear in Canada. It's why there's a trucker movement here in this country, because th- there's sort of a you can't get around it aspect to being a trucker, right? He's got to fill his tank. He can't say, well, I, these prices are too high. I'm not going to pay that. Just like a trucker can't say, well, I'm, I'm too tired. I'm not going to go, or I don't feel like it. And we need the things they bring. It isn't optional. I loved when, what was it, a few months ago, Jen Psaki referred to the supply chain as the delivery of Pelotons. Yeah, we probably don't need those, but just about everything else they, they deliver, we need. And this is where um, gas prices matter and inflation matters. It's painful for you and I to pay these prices at the pump. We're asking you today on the JR poll, are you cutting back due to higher gas prices? But if only it was just at the pump, these prices will drive every other price up. And um, and then this cycle will go on. Even if gas prices were to abate at some point, this cycle will take a while to catch up. You know, in every economic transaction, there's a lag time, right? You don't immediately get the results. You don't immediately get the relief. Right now we're hearing that people may be putting off major purchases. How long can you put off some of these things? 210-599-5555. So we're going to talk about all of this. Uh, we're taking your calls right now to do that, and we're going to get Lisa Doftari in here in about 10 minutes. There's been a lot of talk today about uh, Vice President Harris in Poland. If you haven't heard it, this is what happened. She had a news conference with the president of Poland. Poland has 2 million Ukrainian refugees. And so they're over there having a meeting, and they have the news conference. And listen to what happens at the beginning of the Q&A between President Duda and Vice President Harris. Cut number four. I wanted to ask you about some reporting that my colleague here in Poland noticed. He recently spoke with the mayor of the largest border town, who told him that the refugee system is essentially not set up for this, that it will collapse. It's an improvised system that can work for maybe two weeks, but not indefinitely. And I'm wondering what the United States is going to do more specifically to set up a permanent infrastructure. And relatedly, is the United States willing to make a specific allocation for Ukrainian refugees? And for President Duda, I wanted to know if you think and if you asked the United States to specifically accept more refugees. Okay. (laughs) 
A friend in need is a friend in need. <laughs> okay, I, I, I first. Okay, so this time. So she she goes into like a 10 second laughing jag and people are have you know people have questions like what's something wrong with her or what let me tell you what i think is going on here and it's just my theory and i can't prove it i don't think there's anything wrong with her per se but i've interviewed a lot of people over the years and when somebody is not prepared for a question you ask them when someone hasn't read the briefing book someone hasn't done their homework someone's in way over their head they have certain, there are certain delaying tactics and time-filling tactics and disarming tactics people try to use. They don't even know they're doing it sometimes. And I, I read Kamala Harris as somebody that just doesn't do her homework, just doesn't read, hasn't kept up with these things. This is not, by the way, I'm not the only one saying this. This is something even people that have worked for her in the past accuse her of being unprepared. Um, but I really think what you're seeing with her is just somebody that's not well-versed. She she cannot talk about our border. She cannot talk about their border. Um, and these people get briefings and briefing books, and they have a wide variety of experts who will, at a moment's notice, come and talk to them and educate them and give them a crash course. She just doesn't do it. She just doesn't put in the work. I don't think it has to be more complicated than that. I don't think there's some big theory we need for her. Uh, she's just not ready. And it's one thing to say, well, then why did they send her on this incredibly delicate and important diplomatic mission? Good question. But then you remember that she's also a heartbeat away from a 79-year-old president who keeps losing his way walking. Just saying. At one time, like during the Cold War, um, the Russians would put out propaganda it would be robustly refuted by the U.S. and her allies. The U.S. and her allies also did a very uh, strong and, and workmanlike job of penetrating the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc with things like Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty. And so they would, um, y- you would have a story like this rumor about biolabs in Ukraine, and you would have, you know, a sense that, Okay, that's that's just the usual Soviet agitprop. But now we have a government that was not honest with us about funding biological research in Wuhan. And so when they come out with their shocked face and say, oh, of course we're not funding a bio uh, lab in, in Ukraine, that's that's crazy. You really don't know what to make of it. And it also sounds to me like when you start preparing people for the possibility of a chemical warfare battlefield, you are preparing people for, well, folks, now we do have to get into this war. That's That crosses a line. And that's why we brought back our next guest, Lisa Daftari, the editor-in-chief of ForeignDeskNews.com on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. So sorry for that long introduction, but... That, that's kind of where my head is at right now on this bio story, Lisa. What, what are your thoughts or what are you hearing about it? Yeah, you know, um, as you were speaking, I'm thinking to myself, you know, we live in a country and at a time where I can probably Google where you live, your date of birth, how much you make, um, you know, potentially you know, other very, very sensitive information about each individual just by a simple Google search. Uh, but yet we still don't know what exactly was our involvement in Wuhan. And now, exactly to your point, 
why don't we have exactly what's going on in, in Ukraine? Maybe our government could come out and say, for the sake of transparency, we will say we're involved in Ukraine and X, Y, and Z, and it's not it's not in, in this arena of, of um, you know, biolabs the way that we were in, in, in Wuhan, particularly because we're coming out of a, you know, lack of trust and a lack of transparency on, on, on the part of the government. So, um, you know, last this morning, I should say, when, when I, I put out a, a top 10 morning email, it was, you know, Russian propaganda, but then there's also the American propaganda. And when we have a president who's willing to, um, you know, stupidly and, and foolishly come out and say, ah, oh, the gas prices are just because of Putin and what's going on in Russia. Well, living in Southern California, I'll tell you, it was well over $5 before Russia, you know, uh, Putin ever thought about going into Ukraine. So, um, you know, when, when you do have this kind of propaganda on both sides and now this lack of trust, I'm with you. I don't know what to believe on a story like this. And I do believe, as you said, that, that things are escalating. They're out of, out of the, the uh, radius of control that the White House would like to have on something like this. And when they come out and say, well, chemical weapons will be used, it reminds me of President Obama and Syria's uh, chemical weapons. And we brought in Russia to broker that and, 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 and figure it out and punish those who are using chemical weapons. And it really didn't work. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, what, what this will lead up to and how the United States will involve itself. Well, and when you consider that the same deep staters are making foreign policy now, who were making it 20 years ago, uh, this is exactly the kind of escalating, uh, you know, uh, kind of talk or, or warning signals that got us into Iraq. So I, I, you could even set aside just for the moment whether we were involved with labs or not. If 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 the, the new line is there's chemical stuff, biological stuff, it's not secure, it could get out of control, or the Russians could release it and make it look like an accident. That that sounds like how you widen this war, how you turn this into a troops mm-hmm. on the ground thing really quickly. And 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 you'll have Republicans and Democrats competing to be the most eager to do that. Absolutely, and I think that there is this this feeling of you know on, on both sides that we don't need to get involved, we don't need to escalate, we don't need to escalate. But to your point, if there would be pretense for escalation, this would be it. Uh, and that would be the only reason why, you know, um, they would want to involve themselves or to at least give off the, you know, appearance of going in to not make this any worse than it already is. Uh, I, I, I definitely agree with you on that. This whole thing also kind of has a too little, too late feel to it. The thing about the MIGs, the Stingers. You know, I was talking a few minutes ago before we got you on about how um, this is the administration that left, what, $80 billion in weapons uh, in Afghanistan, just mm-hmm. handed it over. Um, it, it, the, the, the Soviet, excuse me, the Russian troops, I keep saying that, <laughs> are, are have been on the border of Ukraine since last year. Um, so we could have started arming Ukraine months ago. Uh, we could have asked for a list months ago. Um, there's something very suspect about all of a sudden now, right? Right. I, I agree with you. And I and I we've been saying the same thing over and over again about how, you know, why why did we wait this long? Why is it all of a sudden that Ukraine is scrambling to whether become part of the EU or get support from the NATO or waiting to see if Article Five applies? 
if if these up to 150,000 troops and assets were on the border, what did we think was going to happen? Were they, you know, waiting for the Thanksgiving parade? This was obvious. This was definitely uh, something that could have been, um, if not stopped, at least we could have been better prepared for it, as you said. Uh, and now um, it's very difficult. And, and I, I, I think this way about this administration across the board in terms of foreign policy, but it's very difficult to see what their bottom line is regarding this this conflict. Just like we don't know what they were hoping to accomplish in Afghanistan, and they just gave it up and left. Just like it's very difficult to know what they want to do with China or why they're getting back into an Iran nuclear yeah. deal that that my sources tell me are we're, we're giving up more than the Iranians even asked for, and we already know that they came to the table asking for a lot more than they should have uh, given their transgressions with the current uh, stipulations. But um, it's very difficult to tell what's going on. It just looks like it's this, you know, appearance of whatever it is that Jen Psaki has to do every day at the podium versus what they're doing, you know, behind the scenes. And for that reason, you and I, two professionals who have been, you know, covering this stuff for at least two decades, um, if not more, you know, have to have a conversation of, you know, a lot of what ifs or, you know, what are they hiding? And it may sound to some like these are conspiracy theories, but given the era that we're coming out of, it's like this um, this this dichotomy of, of, of elements where we have all of this information, we have all of this ability to get information, we have FOIAs, and we have all sorts of acts that are supposed to give us more information, but yet we are more in the dark than ever before, or perhaps we're just aware of being more in the dark than ever Maybe before. Maybe that's it, yeah. yeah. Politico did a story, and that's certainly not a right-wing uh, website. Mm-hmm. Politico did a story about the, the Poland jet deal and mm-hmm. said that Poland wanted to do it. Poland didn't talk to the Biden administration about it because, precisely because they don't trust them, that they got... Blinken to agree to it, and then Biden himself uh, killed it. And I, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but Jen Psaki referred to the, the transfer of jets as potentially escalatory, mm-hmm. which talk about stating the obvious, yeah, it. I mean, they're, they're fighter jets. That's absolutely supposed to be escalatory. The Ukrainians, I'm sure, intent, they're not putting on an air show. Uh, they're defending right. their country. Uh, what is your read of that whole, I guess, sequence of events that resulted in the MiGs not being transferred? Yeah, that and then, you know, add to it, they dropped Kamala Harris in, into Poland to give a stuttering, I don't know what that was, performance. Um, I, I, I really don't know what to make of, of this situation other than they know it's going to escalate, but the United States doesn't want to lead the charge. That's how I see it. And um, it would make sense for this administration not to want to seem, you know, hawkish or not to want to be the ones who start the war, but they're the ones who always get us into the war. And we, I think, you know, I had this conversation last week where it's, you know, um, it, it's it's always the case with, with administrations like this when they lead with weakness that they end up, the, the end result is getting involved further than we had wanted to get involved in and making it much more bloody and costly um, for everyone. 
when when we do see the the level of involvement and the the uh, outcome you know on the other end um, I don't think the US wants to lead the charge here that's why they are hoping that if something does happen it does become our article 5 for NATO's uh, to 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 bear something on their shoulders they're waiting to see if if something can happen with israel getting involved to mediate um yes they would have done the swap with poland but they didn't want it to look like it was again the united states pushing and giving them new jets in order to transfer jets over or and and it would appear escalatory the the verbiage that comes out of this white house is just hilarious we're in a war there is a war mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. so when you use words like it's going to escalate well Like you said, too little, too late. And all of this just seems like they're always peddling their way out of some mess or creating a new one. And uh, for that reason, I just we're more spectators than anything else. I don't know if we can really predict anything that's going to happen here. Mm. Follow all of this at ForeignDeskNews.com. Lisa Duftari. Lisa, always appreciate the time. Thank you. My pleasure. You know, everybody says this wouldn't have happened under Trump. If Trump was president and all this Ukraine thing, this wouldn't have happened. I don't know if that's true. i I, I got to say, and I know you're going to hate me for saying it, but uh, Trump probably had a better handle on this, but I don't think he had a total handle on it. He had a weird attitude about Putin. He had kind of a weird admiration for the guy. The policies of the Trump administration were clearly tougher on Russia, but I, I'm, I'm not sure Trump's the guy I wish was in charge right now. Reagan is the guy I wish was in charge right now you know um if you're old enough to remember 40 years ago or 41 years ago reagan is the new president and it's poland not ukraine that is the flashpoint between these two superpowers and there's this great peril we're watching a brave proud people resist russian aggression The stakes are very high. Nuclear war is on the table. And the longer the tension goes on, the greater a possibility of escalation or an accidental escalation. That was true in Poland with the Solidarity Movement, the labor strike. The only difference in Poland was the the Soviets had already gone in and established a puppet government. So they had done that step there that they have not done in Ukraine. Zelensky is still in charge in Poland. But this was the defining moment for Ronald Reagan in the Cold War. And it came in the first year of his presidency, not the second. Not a shot was fired. And yet it was handled delicately, carefully by a president who had spent years thinking about and formulating in his mind how he wanted to stand up to the Russians. And the idea behind Reagan, who I remember so vividly people called a cowboy and a warmonger, but the idea was to not fight the Soviet Empire directly taking it down without fighting it. And the way they did it was economic and technological and moral superiority. We broke them. We broke their economy. 
And we won a Cold War without having a hot war. And we were just as on the brink as we are now, and people were nervous about it, and there was talk of of military maneuvering and preparations just as there are now, and there was a debate about is this our struggle and should we even be in it. The focus was on Poland then, it's on Ukraine now. Poland was a captive nation. Ukraine is an invaded nation. Poles in this country and in Poland wanted America to get involved. They wanted America to fight with them. Reagan found a way to support them verbally and materially. He found a way to identify with them morally. He encouraged them and uh, allied with the right people. It was Pope John Paul II and British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. And there was sharing of intelligence. I guess what I'm saying is, these are the things I would like to see now. I, I, I don't know that Trump would have all these things. And I don't know who currently does. Obviously, Reagan is not an option. But if you want to know... Have we been here before, and what did we do? We have been, and this is what we did. And it was the first year of Reagan's presidency, but by the end of his eight years, the Cold War was ending. And it was ending because decisions like this had been made and made successfully. We're going to talk about that. Dennis, when you were a kid, did you go to summer camp? Did you ever have summer camp? Not really. No. Yeah. I um, only had one summer when I went to summer camp, and it was a day camp. It wasn't one of those deals where you went away for two weeks. Um, and I actually hated it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did it for one summer. I think it was a week, but it was an overnight camp as well, and it just wasn't my wasn't my jam. I, I think I think there are kids that that thrive on it. Yeah, and I think depending upon where you grow up and how you grow up, it can be great because maybe there's not much going on where you live and it gets you into the outdoors and but for me, I was one of those kids that if left to my own devices, I had I always had plenty to do and plenty of friends to hang around with and ride my bike and so I I resented like the idea that I had to get up at a certain time in the summer and go to this place and be at it all day and do activities at certain times. I think some kids just are better off left, you know, free range, right? Yeah, just just let your creativity, you know, carry you through the summer and But I think for those of us that went to summer camp, you know, it was probably like swimming lessons and tying knots and stuff like that. Well, there's a summer camp that's been in the news the last few days in Kentucky that's a sex ed summer camp. That sounds And among the things, yeah, you heard this, right? (laughs) Among the things they're teaching are um, how to masturbate, how to obtain an abortion, and how to have sex while on drugs. And I am pretty sure my memory is faded, but I'm pretty sure we didn't cover any of that at the Fessenden summer camp uh, that I went to. It's called the Sexy Sex Ed Camp. It's based in Hazard, Kentucky. Uh, it started last summer, and they're gearing up. They're signing up for uh, uh, for this summer. It came to the attention of uh, Manhattan Institute scholar and writer Christopher Rufo. He's been writing and posting uh, on Twitter about it. Uh, workshops on masturbation techniques. Make the most of your masturbation skills. This is for uh, kids starting at the age of seven. 
And the camp runs for a week, uh, June 6th through the 10th. Now, right away, you're probably asking yourself, uh, who are these people that are sending their kids to this camp? That's a really good question. I mean, it's not like somebody scooped your kid up off the street. You, you have to, you have to seek this out. You have to sign them up. You have to pay the fee. You got to go to the orientation. It says on the website, your kid can't come to the camp if you don't come to the orientation. Um, so I do have questions about why people would do this. Um, but I also, I find it very weird that we have just spent the last, I don't know how many years or decades kind of, uh, cleansing or purging ourselves of the whole business with the Catholic Church scandals, the Scoutmaster scandals, and of course, not a week goes by somewhere in this country. We don't have a teacher, a classroom teacher, who is credibly accused of sex with a student or students. Why, why would you have a summer camp for children about sex? And I can only conclude that this is a predator's dream come true. I mean, you couldn't, you, you know, when, when, uh, what was his name? Chris Hansen was doing to catch a predator on, on Dateline 20 years ago. You couldn't have imagined that somebody would organize the kids, line them up, and just make them available like a Pez dispenser for perverts. But that's what we're doing here. Tell me we're not. So third, fourth, and fifth graders learn to, quote, affirm non-binary, body-positive, social-emotional learning through sex play. I'm reading right off the... uh, uh, the website. What do you think of that? 210-599-5555. The program brags it's non-binary. One of the questions in the FAQ section, will kids be divided by gender when learning about puberty, bodies, sex? No, is the answer. Gender is a spectrum and not a binary. Everyone needs to learn about all bodies so they can be supportive friends, partners, and parents if that happens in their futures. Another FAQ confirms the children will have condom demonstrations. I mean, these are your worst nightmares, right? When your kid is not with you, when you entrust your children to the in loco parentis of others, these are your worst freaking nightmares. Here, you're signing up for it. This is like flagging down the white van that's cruising the neighborhood and saying, here, take my kid. Wait, slow down. You're missing our house. The free candy guy. You can stop over here. So, I mean, I, I, I certainly have questions about the, the weirdos that are running this camp. But you got to ask yourself, who's enrolling their kids in this? And one of the things that we've seen in the last two years is the outrage of parents as they discover what their kids have learned or are learning in school. And their outrage boils down to this one basic statement. Who gives you the right to tell my kid X? Who gives you the right to tell them about trans? Who gives them, gives you the right to, to tell them about race or to teach them that they are racist? Well, in this case, the answer to that question is the parents have given them 
that right. Let's talk about sex ed is one of the themes of the camp. Now, um, again, probably the least mysterious part about this to me would be what kind of human beings want this kind of access to children. I'm not spending a lot of time thinking about that because I think I already know. By the way, one of the principles of the camp, a woman named Tanya Robertson, uh, who identifies as a feminine, bi-curious, ethically polyamorous, sexually submissive person, uh, says she will instruct um, your kids about non-monogamy. She brags in an interview she did last year that she's not shy of perverse topics. She wants to teach sex positivity. She wants to use pornography. So, stranger danger <laughs> is how we were raised or how we raised our kids, right? Don't talk to a stranger, and, and why shouldn't you? Because you never know who they are. We know who these people are. How is anyone in this? How is anyone signing up for this? Here's the uh, organizer, Tanya uh, Robinson, talking about uh, her philosophy on this. Take a listen. That's how we should, you know, like get down with yourself, explore your own body. Masturbation is really healthy, and I recommend it to people of all ages, all ages. As soon as my nephews could talk, they were doing that. That's what they were doing. Kids touch themselves. Kids start to ask questions, and we teach them the language for their bodies, right? That's your nose. Touch your nose. Show Aunt T. You can touch your nose. But my sister's not saying that when they're tugging at their penis, right? But it feels good, right? We have to learn ways to talk to young people about this so that they know how to explore their body consensually so that it's not in public, right? We don't want people exploring their bodies in public. That's not consensual. But exploring your body at any age, grandmas, grandpas, all of us. Mm. Um, I have to say, I uh, would not have, uh, on the uh, bingo card, I would not have had Kentucky as the state for this. Would you? Anyone else? (laughs) surprised by that. Uh, Mitch McConnell State, didn't see that one coming. 210-599-5555. All right, I want to know what you think, uh, if you're able to even formulate a thought about this. Uh, Helen is on KTSA. Helen, good afternoon. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I have an 11-year-old son, and he's in fifth grade. And even he has, we were having a conversation the other night, and he was saying, you know, one of his friends is Demi Pan. And he's like, you know, I guess that's where you're friends with someone, but you don't care if they're... And he's going, I don't know why there's so many different things. And it's just like, this isn't what he's being taught, but he's hearing it from other kids. And I'm just sitting here going like, are we in bizarro land or what? Mm. Like, this is insane that it is just, especially the fact that there's a summer camp and people are actually signing up for this. Yeah, that is that is just horrible. It should be the parents who explain to them things about this, and not sending them to some sexy summer camp. Well, hold on, because you just said the you just said the key thing, Helen. Why wouldn't you, as a parent, be the one to teach whatever your morals or standards are? How would this be something you would 
send them off to camp for? Yeah, it's well, it's laziness on the parents' part because they can't get over the uncomfortable conversation that they need to have with their child or you know, I I can't even come up with all the reasons why they yeah. they feel that they need to do this. But I, I'm just I'm in shock and awe where we're at. Wanting to it's teach odd to me that we've spent reason. so much time in recent years doing background checks and trying to cleanse various institutions of child sex predators. Right? We've tried to get them out of the church. We've tried to get them out of the scouting. Now we're going to set up a camp. This seems like. This seems like the place where all of those people would want to go. They're, they're all applying there. Yeah, it is. I, I hope that they're doing background checks there, but it, either or, it's, it just blows my mind. I can't believe we're in yeah, 2022. Is, that's right. 2022, the year that said to 2021, hold my beer. Uh, Gary is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Gary, good afternoon. Good afternoon. The human race has been around over 2,000 years, and for some reason they think that this is going to change something about the way they're teaching these kids. Like, what outcome are they trying to achieve? I don't get it. Exactly what is the end game here? And and what exactly did they miss in their childhood growing up that they feel it necessary to do this to these kids? doesn't make any sense, and they don't have any proof that it does anything different. It's ridiculous. I mean, I can't really understand what... I would love for someone to be able to explain to me why can't you be the one that is the source for your child of whatever you think they need to know about their body? Why can you not do that? I mean, you know, uh, Helen said, well, maybe they're too busy, but you're too busy, to, you're too busy for your own kids? No, I don't know if they're blaming the parents for not being the ones. I think they're thinking that they have a better way to teach kids at a younger age, and they feel it necessary. That's the question. Why is it necessary? Well, well, no, I understand that about the camp organizers, but I'm saying why, as a parent, would you send your kid to this? Oh, you talk to the parents? Well, those. Well, listen, have you seen some of those videos of people that that uh, just kind of – I've seen several videos. I'm sure you have too, Jack, of these, these people that are supportive of all this youth – teaching of, of fine LGBT but then you you explain LGBT it to your kid you teach it to your kid if that's what you support you do it right Th- those parents are just nuts they're just nuts you know if you've that's got time to make a video about it and put it on the internet why don't you have time to talk to your son or daughter about it um look i'm i yeah, i might not agree with what you're going to teach them but they're your kid so that's 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 up to you but uh, this is this is the part of this. I, I'm, I'm less mystified about why perverts and weirdos would want access to kids and therefore set up a camp. I get that. I'm sorry to say I get that. Do not get why parents would send their kids to this. Robert is on KTSA. Robert, good afternoon. Jack, how are you today, brother? Hey, Robert Fleming. How are you doing? Doing well. This is the height of insanity, my friend. <laughs> we keep saying that. I don't know if we've seen the height yet. I, I suppose it could get crazier than this. Probably next year, the syllabus for the camp will be, we're in Kentucky, learn how to have sex with your siblings. Mm. Kind of surprised to see it in Kentucky, too. This this felt like a East Coast, West Coast thing to me, right? Yeah, really. I mean, you know, really, this is, if you told me this was coming out of, say, Connecticut or someplace like that, I'd, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm not surprised, or, or Oregon, but Kentucky, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah, well, not that we want to give them business advice, but they they probably didn't pick the right location. Um, 
you know, Robert, I, I know that parents forever in a day, and you're a parent and I am too, I mean, it, it's, it is a hard thing to talk to your kids about their body and sex and what your expectations are and what your morals are, but it's also a discussion I cannot imagine you would trust anyone else with. I, I wouldn't, and if you, you know, you listen to just the tone of that woman's voice, you know, it's almost like she wants you to think she's taking it seriously, but she really doesn't take it that seriously. Meaning she just thinks this is all just a big goof, I guess. I don't know. And when she was talking about her nephews, that's what made me pick up the phone and go, oh, my God, this woman is off, yeah. the, off the chart. Just nuts. Yeah. Well, every family has a crazy aunt, so I guess we know yeah. who the crazy aunt is in her family. It's good good to hear from you, though, Robert. Thank you for calling in, sir. Wish you well, and really miss hearing your voice. Robert Fleming, our good friend over at Magnolia. 210-599-5555. Dan is on KTSA. Hi, Dan. Hey, Jack. How are you? Good, thank you, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, I, I'm just more, I, I don't understand how a business like this could even exist. This is in the Bible Belt. They have to get permitting. Uh, why? I'm not, I don't understand why we're not madder about this and why the FBI hasn't already shut this down. How could a business like this ever even exist? Where? How did we get to this point where people would even accept a business like that? You know what happens behind closed doors, but this—I don't know, man. We have—we have lost our way. If this kind of thing is even available. Well, anyway, you know, Dan, I don't, I don't know how old you are, but I, I'm old enough to remember when it would have been that way, and I agree with you about the FBI at one time, but remember the FBI today is the, is the enforcement arm of the woke left in this country. I mean, and, and I apologize if you're an FBI agent and you're a sincere law enforcement professional, I don't mean to besmirch you or the, the important work you're doing, but your agency has become highly politicized. Um, and essentially the, the, the militia or the, the enforcement arm of the Democratic Party. So I, I wouldn't expect them to be, you know, staked out in the woods watching this, this, uh, camp with, uh, night vision goggles. Yes, at one time, even a whiff of something like this would have attracted so many law enforcement agencies and, 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 and even, uh, activists that they would have been tripping and, and running into each other to get to this camp. But today we've convinced ourselves that somehow um, uh, this is this is pluralism or this is diversity or whatever. But even if that is your belief, and I, it's, it's none of my business what you believe and what you do at home, and it's none of my business how you raise your kid. But why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you teach this stuff to your kids? She's talking about stuff that, you know, you, you would already be aware of if they're already curious about their body, if they're already curious about masturbation, if they're already asking questions about polyamory, uh, after you Google it, you know, I mean, you can, you can talk to them. Um, seems very creepy and, and very, uh, what's the word I want? Uh, exploitative that you'd be sending them off for this. And, you know, all all kidding aside, you know, the part of this story we'll never hear is in 20 years, the the children that were exposed to this and put through this, and how do they wind up? And how confused were they? 
And what did this lead to in their, in their choices in their lives? Because we all just want our kids to be okay, whatever that means, right? But I don't think this is a path to okay or peace or, or security or happiness or whatever it is you aspire for your kids. So as we were talking about earlier, what's going on with oil right now is not the Putin price hike. It is the result of many things, not the least of which are things that the current people in power promised they would do. They ran on freezing permits. They ran on moving subsidies from oil to renewables. They ran on waging a war on what they call fossil fuel. They promised and they delivered on higher gas prices. And now, of course, they're running away from it and they're saying, it's not us. Not anything we did. We're not in the way of, of more production or more competition. It's, it's, it's Putin. We're making the same mistake, I think, and, and I think our next guest does too, when it comes to um, electric cars. If we believe that they are part of the future or they are the future, um, we need to get serious about what goes into them, and where that currently comes from. Ben Lieberman is a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. He's written and spoken a lot about this, and he's on our KTSA, Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Um, and, and Ben, I'm glad to have you, because we had talked about this on the show yesterday, and you kind of dropped into my uh, uh, site today. There is not a lot being said about what goes into the batteries for electric cars and where those rare earth elements come from. Uh, that's correct. And uh, the Biden administration has been saying a lot of foolish things about gasoline prices lately. Maybe the most foolish is the one that, uh, that, 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 uh, that now is the time to more seriously consider electric vehicle batteries, which for one thing would give us the advantage of being free from imports from unfriendly nations around the world. He's talking about oil. But the reality is because of the fracking revolution, we're actually producing a a, a substantial amount of oil in the U.S. and less is coming from uh, other nations. And even there, some of those nations are are, are friendly nations like Canada and Mexico. On the other hand, making an electric vehicle battery requires, as you mentioned, rare earth, cobalt, lithium, a number of other minerals, which will create much greater dependence on unfriendly nations, particularly China, which has made a deliberate effort to try to uh, corner the market of some of what uh, is required to make an electric vehicle battery, but also Russia as well. So we would be trading less import reliance on gasoline for more import reliance on the minerals needed to make an electric vehicle battery. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the percentage of import reliance on those rare earth elements is much higher. In other words, we're we're not importing 100% of our oil, but we would be importing nearly 100% of some of those minerals. The U.S. Geological Survey had a study out lately, recently, and they found for a number of minerals, including some that are needed, we're close to 100% reliance. Others were more than 50%, and this is for a lot of things. And I'm talking now not just EVs, but also cell phones and solar panels and wind turbines, a lot of minerals necessary for part of the so-called green economy uh, would be ones where the U.S. is 
more than 50%, sometimes well above 50% dependent on nations like China. And I should add, not only does China make the stuff mine and process the stuff in China, but they've bought facilities around the world for the deliberate purpose of, of having a dominant market position. You know, when I brought this up yesterday, the number one question I got from people was, well, if you know this, and you're just some guy on the radio, do the do the people in the Biden administration not know this, or or do they actually know it and have a plan, or do they know it and not have a plan? And what what is your read on that? Uh, they know about it, and they're, um, they're they're paying lip service to it. Uh, the Biden administration has done a number of studies to look at at critical uh, minerals and and ways to perhaps increase production here. But the concrete steps to more domestic mining and processing, and a lot of this stuff is in the United States. We could be producing more of it. But streamlining the regulatory red tape, a statute called the National Environmental Policy Act, which alone delays a new mine proposal by as much as 10 years, and even after 10 years, the answer may be no, Streamlining that, uh, that, that red tape is something the Biden administration is not doing. In fact, some modest steps under the Trump administration have actually been reversed by the Biden administration. So uh, the administration is talking a good game about getting more minerals from the U.S., but they're doing the opposite. And in fact, just in the last few weeks, they've rejected a few mines one in Minnesota. Uh, there's also a, a one lithium, which is also important for EV batteries. They're they're throwing a lot of uh, delays at a, at a proposed uh, facility in California. So they're talking about doing the right thing, but they're actually doing the wrong thing. I had read years ago that China was uh, aggressively moving on any any place in the world. There was a discovery of rare earth elements. They were they were moving in not only on the actual mine or or area but cozying up to whatever the host government was. Do and you're mentioning that we have restrictions on domestic mining. Even if we were to lift those or greatly loosen those, could we produce enough of those things without hostile nations to move to an electric car future, or are we stuck? where we're going to need the overseas uh, supplies, or is that even something you can answer at this point? Well, first, we, we, we would need this environmental hypocrisy to end. Some of the same folks who are gung-ho about electric vehicles, they turn around and they want to block every right. mine right. In, in the U.S. That has to end. It's hard to say how much we would produce. Again, you know, it's not necessary to produce 100% of something in the U.S. You produce enough here, and then other countries don't have that dominant market position they can't play uh, uh they can't manipulate the the market we could certainly be in in a much better shape and quite frankly i think that electric vehicles will grow in popularity i don't think they'll become wildly popular there's there's still a number of of uh, of, of issues that have to be resolved with them so we i think we certainly could produce a lot more of what it would take to produce uh more electric vehicles uh, again, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the, these hopes of replacing gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles with uh, with EVs—that's never going to happen. But uh, uh, to, to answer your question, we could be producing a lot more in the U.S. And again, as with U.S. oil production, you're also talking about jobs in the U.S. rather than mm-hmm. elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, 
I think there's also a concern about the ethics of production, the ethics of extraction. There's child labor being used in some of these other countries. Uh, I don't know how the electric car advocates uh, sleep at night knowing that they are advocating for vehicles that would be built not figuratively but literally with child and slave labor in these other countries. That's absolutely true. Also true is the fact that uh, nations like China and Russia have far less stringent environmental safeguards. So for environmentalists to favor uh, uh, dirtier production abroad rather than cleaner production mm. in the U.S. is just one more in the long list of, uh, of, uh, of, of hypocritical uh, actions by, by some of the, the folks in the environmental movement. Very interesting stuff. I'd love to have you back again to talk more about this. I hope we can do that. Ben Lieberman, Competitive Enterprise Institute. Thank you tonight. Appreciate having you. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, very good information. Great conversation. Over the course of this week, the uh, version of events that says this is Putin's price hike, this is Putin's inflation, that was something the Democratic uh, Party, like, surrogates were saying, you know, the the people carrying water on ABC News or MSNBC. Now the president's saying it. Now the White House is saying it. And I got to tell you, I don't know how this ends because we're going to find out if people really fall for this. By the way, if they do, you'll never see a president of the United States or a political party in the United States ever again take responsibility for the for the results of their own uh, policies. They'll always be a Putin. It won't always be him. In fact, the way things are going in Ukraine, it probably won't be him very much longer. I'm reading a lot of uh, pretty smart people who say he could be gone any day now, and I, and I guess that's possible. But it won't matter because the, the model is we can blame that evil fill-in-the-blank, dictator, invader, terrorist. That's why gas prices are high. That's why you can't get bread at the store. That's why milk costs this much or medical care costs that much. If you fall for this, I don't mean you personally. You know what I mean. You all. <laughs> if, if you all fall for this, this will be the, the M.O. from here on out, from now on. You know what's ironic about that? You know me and irony. I can't. I love irony. The irony of what Joe Biden and his team are doing, and I don't think Joe Biden has very much to do with it. They just tell him what to say. But this is exactly how the old Soviet Union and Putin's Russia always operated. You know, when I was in college in the 1980s at Boston University, we had a professor who had been in the KGB. It was a fascinating class. Everybody wanted to take Professor Bittner's class because he had worked in the KGB, defected from the KGB, and they had him teaching disinformation technique at uh, the College of Communications at Boston University. It was one of the best classes I've ever taken in my life, one of the most fascinating men I've ever uh, met in my life. We had him on the show many years later. One of the things he said is that the reason the, the, the Soviet regime lasted so long, and now Putin, and they're playing off the same playbook, is they, they always made the problem external. 
So you might wonder, why did people tolerate shortages and, and starvation and deprivation? Because they were always told, it isn't our fault, it's, it's the outsiders, it's the West, it's the Americans, it's the Yankees, it's the imperialists, it's their greed. That is a tactic for tyrants to stay in power. Their people don't get very mad at them, or when they start to get mad at them, they're very good at deflecting it to somebody else. Oh, it's not us. It's nothing we've done. You're miserable or hungry or you can't get toilet paper because of them. And there'd always be a them. Now, you know who else did that? If you read the book, The Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright, book I recommend on this show a lot if you want to understand fundamental Islamic terrorism. He talks about how for about 100 years before 9-11, 80 to 100 years, there was a school of thought, a movement in the Muslim world that taught and repeated and, and uh, propagandized the idea that the reason we're backwards, the reason we're illiterate, the reason we don't have industry, the reason we don't have electricity, the reason we don't have anything modern is because the evil Judeo-Christian West won't let us have it. Now, you and I know that isn't true, but that's what was poured into the heads of generation upon generation upon generation of young people coming out of Egypt, Saudi Arabia, etc., etc. Well, needless to say, eventually... That was very fertile ground for people that would strap a suicide vest on or a belt or carry a bomb onto an airplane or hijack an airplane or assassinate a foreign leader or go to war against Israel, right? Because they'd heard, all they'd heard is we're living in the 7th century because of these people. And now Biden is trying to do it, and the Democrats are trying to do it. It's Putin. These are Putin prices. This is Putin gas. This is Putin supply chain. I hope it doesn't work. It will not end well for us if we fall for this. If they save their necks by blaming Putin, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not defending Putin. He's awful. But if they save their necks by successfully blaming him, we're in for it. You know, you better hope the worst outcome of this is we have a couple of really rambunctious elections. That's, that's the best way this, this could possibly end. With everything changing and all the chaos in the world, it's so good to see some things stay the same. You can count on them, like Jussie Smollett. You know, it's it's so good that Jussie Smollett is still the same guy he was before the pandemic, before the craziness of 2022. He had his sentencing hearing today, and he was late. You know, which is, they tell me, the absolute worst thing you can do in, in, in a court of law is be late on the judge. But he came in late. He did not get his request for a new trial. And he is still claiming that he was attacked that night by a white guy in a mask. So I just want to say, tip of the cap to Jesse Smollett. Don't ever change. And apparently he never will. 210-599-5555. Um, one of the uh, alternate search engines, DuckDuckGo, is in the news tonight. The CEO of DuckDuckGo 
Uh, and by the way, if you don't know, this is this is where a lot of people that are angry or fed up with Google have gone. You know, it's kind of their, I guess you'd say their escape hatch or their alternative. Um, he has been uh, talking about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and he's bragging about his company's response to it. This is what Gabriel Weinberg uh, put out. Like so many others, I'm sickened by Russians, uh, Russia's uh, invasion and the humanitarian crisis it continues to create. At DuckDuckGo, we've been rolling out search updates that downrank sites associated with Russian disinformation. And I had several other uh, tweets in this thread. This is from last night. Here's another one. DuckDuckGo's mission is to make simple privacy protection accessible to all. Privacy is a human right and transcends politics, which is why about 100 million people around the world use DuckDuckGo. We don't have an exact count since we don't track people. Now, one of the reasons people got fed up with or distrustful of Google was the whole throttling up and throttling down of different points of view. So I want to propose something here that may sound radical or crazy to you. And if it does, please feel free to call me out on it and tell me I must be smoking something or drinking something or whatever. But why shouldn't people, why shouldn't the user be the one who decides what is and is not misinformation or disinformation? In, in other words, we live in a world full of claims that may or may not be true. Every advertisement is that way. Every political candidate promise is that way. We swim in a universe full of decisions we have to make and do make about whether something is information or misinformation, which means mistaken, or disinformation, which means uh, I know I'm misleading you. And especially now in the quote-unquote information age or digital age, shouldn't that be the spirit of things? Hey, you've got all these places to go. You've got all these resources. You've got more uh, power of of research and inquiry in the palm of your hand than the great scholars of the last several centuries had. You may not use it. You may be gullible or foolish or believe the first thing you hear, but you can, if you want to, seek these things out. Why does DuckDuckGo or Google or anybody have to do it? I, I know why they want to do it. I understand the controlling information, throttling up, search results or throttling them down or depressing this site in favor of that site. I know that gives them power. I'm not asking why do they do it. I'm asking why do why does anyone believe that is necessary? So he's bragging about manipulating search results. And the response to that should be, we don't need you to do it. We're not asking you to do it. You've created the you've created the supposed crisis or need, and then heroically strapped on a cape, and 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 declared yourself the hero. And all of the tech companies have done this, right? Twitter did it. Facebook. Remember, remember during the pandemic with Facebook, if you tweeted about COVID, you could go to COVID jail. 
or they put the little box on top of your post. Uh, this might be misinformation. They did it to me. I would, I would simply link to other articles and other people's writings, and these were opinion pieces, so they weren't, they weren't um, presented as as data. They were commentaries, and um, even if you are concerned, maybe you are deeply concerned that there's a lot of bad info out there about COVID, or there's a lot of bad info there about out there about uh, Ukraine. Pretty straightforward question. Are you cutting back due to higher gas prices? I've actually had some people say to me today in answer to this question, you know, I I didn't even realize it, but yeah, I am. I hadn't thought about it, but I am. And then some people are saying, well, not yet, but I feel like I'm going to have to if they keep going up. It looks like they are going to keep uh, going up. There, there, There is a point, and I don't know when we'll reach it, with these gas prices, where the um, Democratic Party will hit the panic button over the midterm elections. I mean, they're worried. They're panicking now. They're seeing polling that's probably even more dire than you and I imagine. But there may come a point when they do things you are not expecting them to do because they don't want to pay the ultimate you know, price. But I'm not sure what that will be. And I'm not certain that will be a thing we would want them to do. Like you might say, well, I, I hope they change their, you know, they, they kick the green energy people out of their party. I don't think that's going to happen. Or I hope they change their tune on domestic production. I don't think that's going to happen. I worry that it could be something else. It could be the creation of a diversion. Because, you know, we won't be talking about higher gas prices if we're in a ground war in Ukraine, for example. So, just it's going to be an interesting year. They always are, right? 210 599 The uh, CDC announced that they are um, revising mask mandates for transportation, airplanes, trains, transit hubs. Uh, they're extending mask requirements through April 18th. These were set to expire in a few days, and they're saying we're going to keep them around for another, I guess that's a month. You know, I I noticed there was a school district, I forget where it was, they had a school board meeting, they said we're going to keep them around for a few more weeks. At this point, when you're announcing that you're going to get rid of them in a few weeks, what is the science to that? It, it, it's funny because it echoes the way we started this whole mess, 15 days to flatten the curve. But now when cases are going down, when the trend lines are going down, when all the, all the, the graphs are pointed in the right direction, everybody agrees that. What is the psychology of saying almost but not quite? You're almost there, but we're not going to let you do it yet. I think it says more about the banners than it says about the science. I think it says more about the maskers than it says about the science. So it's almost like, um, and they're not explaining the reasoning. No one can quite figure out 
if what 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 would be the justification for saying well we we kind of don't need them anymore but we're going to hang on to them for a few more weeks it's no doubt that travel has something to do with covid-19 i mean obviously we saw that in the fall and winter of 2020 and 2021 uh Travel is obviously how this pandemic started. It's, it's, it's how any pandemic would start and move. Uh, but masking didn't actually do very much about that. And masking wasn't the reason those waves <clears throat> in the fall and winter of 2020 and 2021 came to an end. So the people that said follow the science aren't following their own. And it almost looks like, I can't prove this, but it almost looks like they're just not willing to let go. They, they, they can't let go of what little power they have left. United Airlines announced uh, that workers who didn't get the COVID-19 vaccine may now return to work. According to the Epic Times, unvaccinated workers can return to their positions on March 28th, according to a memorandum that went out uh, this morning. Um, you know, I had two thoughts when I heard that. And just in, in the interest of full disclosure, I don't own any stock in United Airlines. I'm not a frequent flyer with United Airlines. I don't have any family members that work for United. I, my first thought was, I hope the people that they're talking about don't come back i i hope they they say screw it you tried to bleep can us you tried to scapegoat us you called us all kinds of names you threatened us you took away our livelihood in the middle of a down economy no we're not coming back how could we ever work for you again how could we ever come back to an employer who displayed that kind of attitude I realize that some of these people will will come back immediately they they want the job they need the job I'm not telling them they should give up a good paying job far be it from me but um, I wish they were in a position I wish every one of these employees was in a position to say go jump in the lake only even worse than that the the non-radio version of go jump in the lake Uh, but you're seeing this all over you're seeing employers from Airlines to hospitals to school uh, districts make this abrupt pivot and tell people that they were calling, you know, selfish and weird and conspiracy theorists and vaxxers. Now they're saying, oh, we'd love to have you back. Come on back. We know why. We know why this is happening. But I wonder what it means in the long term. I, I, I think sometimes, and of course it's going to take years for this to all sort out and settle out, but I wonder what, I wonder how people's memories will work. You know, maybe you had a grandfather that worked for one company his whole life, got a gold watch. That, that kind of experience is now pretty rare, right? We're going to move around, we're going to bounce around. They say, a young person today will not only have several employers, but probably even several different careers. It's probably true. 
But you're going to remember how people made you feel long after you remember what they said or gestures or slogans or whatever. And I just think a lot of loyalty and dedication and maybe even enthusiasm for one's job, I think a lot of it was killed, strangled by this ridiculous, over-the-top, fuss-budget, pariah-like approach to the vaccine. I mean, you and I remember, right? It wasn't that long ago. You were the worst person. You shouldn't even be allowed out of your home. Now, not only are you allowed out of your home, but we'd love to have you back on the team. Come on back. And I don't know if they're saying this or not, but it sounds like they're sort of suggesting, well, you know, bygones are bygones. Well, the company may say that. How do the employees feel? How will your United flight attendant feel the next time you're on one of those planes? And maybe it's happened to you. Have you been in the position of having an employer threaten to fire you or or tell you you're done? You wouldn't get it. You wouldn't get the jab. You're done. Now they have you back. Now you're back. It Has it changed that relationship? I mean, I'm sure there are people that are extremely magnanimous and I'm not one of those people you probably can tell. I think there's going to be a lot of people with a lot of long memories. on KTSA. This half hour, the results on our Stevens Roofing JR poll have the uh, higher gas prices caused you to cut back at all. Talk about that. Um, This is something I've wondered about for a long time. It's kind of a weird question. And to be honest with you, I used to think I knew the answer to it. And now I am not so sure I know the answer to it. So I thought I'd ask you, in your experience, what you think about this. And here's my question. Do you think your pet can tell time? Do you think your your dog or your cat or whatever pet you have, can they do they know what time it is? And I don't mean you can ask them and they'll go, Oh, it's six thirty eight. I don't mean they have a little a little watch on their wrist. They don't have wrists, their paw. I, I just mean do you have reason to believe that they know with alarming specificity certain times of day. My dog knows a certain time of day that she knows is walk time. And it's weird to me because I don't go anywhere near the door, I don't pick up the leash. You know, at various times of year, that particular time is, is, is daylight. Other times of year, it's dark. So it's not like she can tell by the level of light coming in the windows or whatever. I'd, and she's not, and I say this with love, she's not the sharpest knife in the dog drawer. You know, she's not, like this isn't a dog that, 
you know, like Lassie knows that Timmy's in the well. This dog, if I'm if I'm in the well, I have no chance with this dog. But but I mean, I I really think she knows what time it is when it's that time. Do you think your pet can tell time? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. If that's crazy, and of course not, tell me. If you have reason to believe otherwise, I want to hear that. Um, to be fair, that's the only time she seems to know. Like, she's totally clueless about whether it's time to get up in the morning. She can't tell. Doesn't know. She's totally clueless about mealtime. Doesn't really know. When it's served, she's happy to have it, but I can vary that a lot, and there's no issue. And I have. That walk, if I try to, you know, cheap out on that, and once in a while I just don't feel like doing it or it's cold, or nope, knows it's that time. I wonder. 210-599-5555. I see where there's a, a woman suing Jerry Jones um, because she says that she is his daughter, uh, by a relationship that he had with a woman in the um, mid-1990s. Uh, Alexandra Davis is now a congressional aide. And um, apparently, according to the Dallas Morning News, which did an extremely long and tedious story about it, uh, <laughs> apparently um, the woman was married but estranged from her husband. She was working for an airline. She met Jerry Jones. They began a relationship at his behest or instigation, and this woman was born as a result of that in 1996. Um, apparently during the woman's divorce proceedings, uh, they determined that this was not the husband's kid, and um, Jones has known about her, and there's some kind of settlement and so supposedly no one is supposed to say anything, and now this woman is saying things. I know people think, well, she probably just wants money, but, boy, I don't know. Is there any amount of money <laughs> that you could get to have to tell this story? I don't know. I guess there is. I, I, I don't know. I guess there is. I, I, this would for, for me, this would have to be one of those, I think I would just rather forget about it kind of things you know you know what i'm saying you feel me on that you know because it's jerry jones just saying 210-599-5555 um i'm thinking if dak prescott couldn't get his money she probably can't either you know what i'm saying all right do your uh, pets know what time it is is my weird question to wrap up the show tonight richard is on 550 and 1071 ktsa richard what do you think about that I absolutely believe they can they have a sense of time. I've got a, a ring camera in my living room that I keep an eye on my dog, and he will go and get on the couch and look at the front door when he there's a certain time when he knows somebody's coming home, and he does it on a regular basis. So he is ready for your homecoming, even though you're not yes. there yet? Yes. Boy, there's no other way to explain that, really, is there? Oh, yeah. Um, 
And I mean, I it would be one thing that. if he heard the. It'd be one thing if he heard the car, or you know, uh, heard the noises of you coming in, or something. But if you're not even there yet, that's that's something. No, he, he goes there, and if you know, if you go into the store and take longer, then he just waits until you get there. But he knows about what time. And I used to have a cat when I lived in Canyon Lake. That um, my dad said would uh, when it was time for me to. He wouldn't see her all day, and when it was time for me to come home, she would show up out in the yard. Cause he lived on, like, five acres, and she would go hide in the woods or play, whatever, but she would show up when it was time for me to come home. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's you, Richard. I mean, maybe you just are a, an appealing person that anim- <laughs> that animals want to be I around. Do, I, I, don't... Do love my, I do love my animals, but uh, yeah. I think... Like you, uh, animals have an idea of what time it is. That is something. That 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 I really uh, to me that's kind of in a in a minor way that's fascinating. Richard, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Um, I will say this, I, I, and I'm really you, you'd have a hard time changing my mind about this. Um, I don't believe they have any sense of length of time or duration of time. So I have a dog, and I have friends come over, and they love my dog, and they're like, I say, why don't, why don't you get a dog? You ought to get it. Oh, no, I can't get a dog. I'm, I'm gone all day. And I said, everybody who has a dog is gone all day. I mean, that's what you do. You go places. The dog's okay. The dog will be all right. Cats will be okay. Oh no, no, I'd feel terrible. And and I always tell them, and I really believe this. From I've owned dogs more than half my life. Your dog does not know whether you've been gone ten minutes. Or 10 hours. They are equally excited. If they're excited to see you, they'll be excited to see you at the 10 hour mark or the 10 minute mark. They will greet you like you have come home from the Peloponnesian Wars and all you did was go down to the mailbox. That's just how they are. Now, some dogs don't do that. I mean, some dogs are very meh. You know, they can't be bothered and cats sometimes don't care. But, but I'm just saying they don't, they can't tell. They're not. If you're at work during the day, they're not, you know, tapping their paw on the floor going, when is she going to get back here? What is the meaning of this? Where is he? They're not doing that. So don't talk yourself out of getting one just because you go to work. Um, but so that's, that's one thing. That's duration of time. But do they know certain times? Can they just tell as if they could read the clock? Do you believe that? Jessica's on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Jessica. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Okay, I wanted to tell you in your last caller about, uh, we talked about the cat. So I have a, a dog. I had a Dutch Shepherd, and she got her medicine at the same time every afternoon with, mm-hmm. of course, treat. And faithfully, every day she would tell me when it was time for her medicine. Mm-hmm. And then when I had a feral cat born out during the, the winter storm last year, and I brought him in, and we go to bed every night at 10 o'clock, and at, at 10 o'clock he gets in his crate hmm. ready for bed. So How I, I long really, did it take the cat to, to learn that or figure that out? Well, you know, we, we stayed on this routine, and it didn't take him long. I would say probably a couple of weeks. Oh, that's not too long. And then I have another little dog that I rescued from school, and we do exercises about 9 o'clock every night. And she goes and sits on the stairs where we do our exercises and waits for me to come. Well, of course, she yeah. gets true. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they can. I think it's one thing if they see us doing something that they associate with a time. 
But it's incredible to me that without any prompting, like the guy that isn't home and his dog is on the ring camera, no one is prompting that dog or reminding that dog or hinting to the dog. He just he just knows. That to me is incredible. I know. I thought that was a cool story. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, Jessica, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Um, is it all pets? Anybody have like a fish that knows? <laughs> I mean, I had a goldfish for years. I I never really noticed that he was attuned to these things. But maybe they are. I don't know. You know, they're for me harder to they're harder to read, right? Like a lot of people. Uh, Jennifer writes to Jack at KTSA.com. My husband's dog went to a gate on a 14-acre property, same time every day to wait on the school bus for our son. He sat at and waited and always walked with him up the long drive. I've had several emails from people saying, yes, dogs absolutely know what time it is, for certain things at least. Jack is on KTSA. Hi, Jack. How are you? Good, thanks. How you doing? I'm doing great. My dog definitely knows how to tell time. Uh, Every morning, I don't even have to check my phone anymore to see what time it is when I wake up because he's waking me up at 5 o'clock to eat breakfast. Today was the only day that he didn't do that, and that's because I kept him up till midnight watching the Tiger Woods Hall of Fame induction. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. How do you know he can tell time? Maybe he's just hungry. Hey, he gets hungry at the same exact time every day. Well, yeah, I mean, you would get, you would get, I mean, I'm hungry first thing in the morning, aren't you? Most people are. No. I've eaten all night. I I, I don't eat at the same time every day. I I wake up, sometimes I'm hungry, sometimes I'm not, but he wakes up. I don't know if I'm convinced that he knows what time it is as much as he just wants you to get up and feed him. At the same time. Well, it's when you notice him, but who knows how long he's been staring at you while you were asleep. Well, maybe he know, maybe he gets hungry at four o'clock, but has enough courtesy to let. Oh, him that could be that. Could, that that's that that probably is it. Yeah, that probably is it. <laughs> All right, Jack. Take care. Have a good night. Thank you for listening, sir. Um, so these guys had a uh, these guys with a podcast had Donald Trump on their podcast. I mean, why not, right? And they start talking to him about music because that's obviously what if you if you're going to interview Donald Trump that's obviously what you would want to know about music that he likes music that they play at Mar-a-Lago and he according to him and this sounds very trumpy to me he's totally involved with the choice of music at Mar-a-Lago he's the disc jockey in chief at Mar-a-Lago he knows what people like so they said well what what's what's what are your jams Donald Trump. Have you ever? Th- I've never thought about this. We've talked about the guy for years around the clock. I've never thought about music. He says, "Well, I really like Broadway show tunes. I really, I'm really moved by Broadway tunes." He's a New York guy, so I, I guess I can see that. Les Mis, and he mentioned Les Mis in particular. But all right. Well, what about when you want to get your party on? You know, what about when you're having the, the, you know, everybody down there at Mar-a-Lago? You're having a good old time at Mar-a-Lago. He says, well, I know what fills the dance floor. I know what people want. I know what gets them out there and gets them moving. Now, remember, he did play a lot of music at his rallies. But he says, if you want people on the dance floor, if, if you want if you want to make America dance again, you need this song right here.
And that's the connection between Donald Trump and the village people that you never knew you needed until now. And if you think about it, that's why you listen to this show. You wouldn't get this on NPR. You know, you, you just, you wouldn't. Be honest, you wouldn't. You know, you're not going to get this from Dennis Prager. Let's be honest. You're not going to get this from, I don't know, whoever. You're not going to get it. Donald Trump's playlist. YMCA by the Village People. He says, by the way, another big hit that they love is Hold On, I'm Coming by Sam and Dave. I'm telling you, I can see the hats now. Can you see them? Make America Dance Again. I'll see you back here tomorrow night at 4. And don't forget, our show is available on demand anytime on the Jack Riccardi page at KTSA.com.